0: Everyone and welcome to this week's episode of the Nerdogram Podcast. Welcome to the Nerdogram Podcast. My name is Kate. Kate, your audio sounds different.
1: It does. Uh, when we started this whole podcast thing said that if we were still doing it
0: in the ultimate months, mashup I would consider between the enneagram personality tool to buy and buy all the your favorite characters and from the film
1: the six tv box, and literature and we're growing On today's episode growing we are typing the
0: characters week, from so outlander like it's
1: finally time to spend the hundred bucks and get myself a better mic so hopefully uh our listeners enjoy the better audio quality
0: we're just gonna keep inching there you know, just a little bit a little bit Get close to that studio quality.
1: A little bit here, a little bit there. Maybe in another six to 12 months, if we're still doing this and still growing, then I'll consider spending another 50 or a hundred bucks.
0: Yeah. At some point I'm gonna have to learn how to be a better uh, audio tech or audio engineer. Because uh, right now we rely on my skills, which is learning as I go.
1: Well, your skills far surpass mine. I probably have said this on air before, but like if something happened to you and, you know, God forbid you were in some kind of catastrophic accident or something tomorrow, Nerdogram podcast would die with you because I do not have the skill set or the inclination to learn how to do what you do. So I'm so grateful for all that you do to make this podcast happen.
0: I make it seem much more difficult than it actually is for me so that you just don't off me and get a a different co-host.
1: I feel like that's a lot of my life. I, I'm really good at making it seem like I'm doing a lot more than what I am. <laughs> so how's your week been?
0: You know, it's been good. Uh, this week, there there was a high point this week. I got to so much of what I've had to do with my job has moved more virtual. So it's more phone calls, more connecting. Some of my job invo- involves supporting other people. Uh, and that's something I really enjoy doing. I really love coming alongside and helping other people win. That's satisfying work to me. But when it's over Zoom or a phone call, it's not quite the same. For me, it misses a little bit. Uh, it's a necessity. But this week, I got to go do some of this in person. I was I was brought in on a situation and, and got to do some work in person with some folks. And it, it was a long day. Um, I think I left the house, at like I don't know, 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning. And i got home seven thirty eight o'clock that night and on my drive home the sun was setting i had awesome tunes going and i was just like man today was a satisfying day it just it was satisfying it mm-hmm. was craziness and there were fires to put out but mm, it felt good it felt good to do the work that i do today
1: that's awesome i'm glad you had that day especially when I don't know. I think most people, even when you have a job that you really love and are passionate about, and you feel like you're using your gifts in a way that's meaningful in the world with every job and every calling, even there's like 50% of it that you just have to do that that sucks a little bit. And it has to be done and it's not the end of the world, but it's not the part of the work that gives you joy and makes you just feel alive and like you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. So when we have those days where we know we're absolutely in the right place and doing the kind of work that sparks life and joy and meaning in us, those are really good.
0: It, it is. And yeah, you know, it happens. I, I happen to have a job that I love, so that's great. And, and so those moments do pop up, but yeah, it, it was just one of those days where I had the thought today was a good day it was a good day. So what's new with you? Well,
1: nothing's particularly new. I am currently taking steroids, which is not really a big deal. Don't worry about me. You have just a minor foot issue and hopefully that'll help it heal. But I was really hoping that I would get this huge burst of energy from the prednisone that would help me to like want to clean my whole house. It's been a long time since my whole house was clean at the same time. Like I'll get a room here, a room there. And you know, the the kitchen gets done every day or two and the bathrooms get done once a week. But it's having all the rooms completely clean in the same one day. I mean it would never last more than a day. I was really hoping the prednisone would make that happen. And unfortunately it did not.
0: You know, I've never had prednisone give me much of a pep. I always felt like it brought me down more than it did
1: interesting
0: because whenever we talked about this when our both of our kids got steroids within relative reach of one another and it just made them super wired at like three in the morning
1: (laughs) yes they should they should prescribe steroids for parents as well obviously not prednisone
0: it just makes makes you tired
1: (laughs) the last time I took prednisone I could not sit still and I got pregnant, which I mean, that could have been coincidence, but I, I'm pretty sure that it did something because I have, I have fertility, have had fertility issues, but the, the last time I got prednisone, I got pregnant. I don't think that will happen this time since my husband has had a vasectomy. Hopefully my husband doesn't mind me sharing that, but uh, that would be kind of funny.
0: I just about sprayed my soda all over the place because I was taking a sip whenever you said that. And my first thought was, oh, that's why you assumed you're going to get the house down, because apparently you think prednisone just makes you get busy.
1: (laughs) That was a good one. Well, how have you shown up as a one this week?
0: I didn't ask that question because I didn't have a good answer. (laughs) (laughs) So I had an opportunity this week to have a conversation with someone who, um, and this was kind of a workplace thing. So I'm not going to go into all the details, but a person had shared with me that they were they they lead a team and they were kind of talking through through that um, process and they were kind of getting stuck, and they just felt like everything was terrible. Like they were landlocked, the team was not working well together. If anything, they're working against each other within the team. And if you've ever been on a team that's not working well together, it is awful. And they just sort of had taken the stance of everything is awful. Nothing's ever going to be better. And so I'm just going to try and get reassigned to a different team. And and, and as I share with them, I said that's that's a possibility still. That that may not be a, a bad thing. But let's take a look at your team and imagine what could be, you know, and say what you know, if things were working right, if if things what things should be different to try and lead into what we could be and and we focused primarily on on the team lead because that was who I was talking with i can't you know coach a, a team that i'm not actively working with but we talked through a process of of imagining and envisioning and leaning into kind of the one uh, and i introduced a little bit of enneagram language to the conversation uh, to talk about how the enneagram is open these different personality types are open to all of us the whole thing is open and to imagine what it would be like to use a little bit of that one Energy to see what is possible and what how things should be, because I firmly believe us ones have a knack for seeing the way things ought to be, quote unquote, ought to be, and that can be an overbearing thing. But but when it's coupled with grace and and openness and curiosity, I think it really unlocks some things. And uh, as something my coach is constantly reminding me of is that you know this is the time of the ones. Everything is in transition. Everything's in flux. Things are not being done the way that they used to be because we've had to adapt either through pandemic or world and social issues. And so the people who who show up, there are certain times, my coach says, the different Enneagram types show up to shine and, and the people who can imagine the way it should be and can invite people to be part of that. And so that, that was kind of the conversation we had was, okay, let's imagine how things should be, not... All, all of my team are knuckleheads and they're just doing banana things. But what, what think? how could things, what would, in what way should things be and how can I invite my team to be part of that and to use their strengths to be working towards that? And so it was fun for me to get to spend some time with my headspace, you know, for another person. So, yeah, I thought that was a good thing. Like I thought it was, it was good. Where did you show up as a two this week?
1: Well, I already told you about this, but I feel like most of my day felt very two-ish because if you are if you're listening to me and if I sound a little off, of course you haven't heard great audio from me up until now, but if I sound like I have a cold, I don't. I've been crying for the last like seven hours because I read a really <laughs> sad, ultimately happy, but a really sad book. And I identified with the character so deeply and I was crying off and on throughout the day. I had to change my shirt because I had so much snot on my sweatshirt and I feel tired and drained because I was crying for people who aren't real. And while anyone can have an emotive response to a really well-written book, and this book was really well-written just as a shout out. It was A Life's Too Short by Abby Jimenez, very good book. All of her books have been very good. But I think as a two, I have a tendency to feel other people's feelings very profoundly. And I think that I even do that as a way of avoiding my own feelings. And so I feel very sad right now. Even though there's nothing particularly sad in my life, I'm feeling other people's feelings. And it just so happens that those other people aren't real. They're, they're fictional characters, but this is pretty typical of what happens in my relationships. When the people I care about are in hard times or hard situations, I come home and I have a really difficult time separating myself from their pain. And I feel it very deeply, even though it's not mine to feel. So that's actually an area where I've had to work a lot, particularly in my line of work where I work with people and often people in really hard times of life to separate myself because it can it can be inappropriate to be grieving as deeply like say somebody dies you know, I can't be as sad as the widow is. That's not my loss, it's her loss. That's disrespectful to her if I'm identifying so closely. And it would never be intentional, but there's some truth to that where that can be harmful and certainly unhelpful. But also for my own soul, I cannot carry everyone's burdens. And so asking that question, what's mine to do has been really helpful. But I've I've also been thinking, what is mine to feel? What's mine to bear? And uh, so so that, that's where I feel like my two-ness has been very apparent just today.
0: Yeah. I thought you had a cold when we first logged on together. I thought, oh, no, Kate's sick. I mean, nope. you told me you'd been crying. <laughs> <laughs> and then you had to change a, sn- a shirt because of snot and not because of your kids.
1: Yeah. And it's so funny because in real life, I don't... Like, crying is a good example. I rarely cry for my own life. I'm sure I have cried, but the last time I remember having a really good cry for my own self was when my grandmother died. Mm. So like not an insignificant thing, but I frequently cry for movies or books or when I was pregnant at those moving commercials. I mean, but that doesn't really count when you have hormones like commercials, you know, I don't typically cry at a commercial. But I will identify and absorb other people's emotions. very And very naturally, it's not a conscious decision, but I do it. Well, this week, we've both been watching, by request, Outlander, Season 1. What do you think of Outlander?
0: So it's a bit of a mixed bag for me. And, and Kate knows this because I've been texting her over the course. It was great for being on the bike. I have a TV now set up that we had in storage that I've set up in front of the exercise bike. So I can break out a sweat. And, and yes, I did cry, but not because of outlander, but because it hurt, my legs were hurting. <laughs> and It's a great story. I, I've definitely gotten invested in the story. There is a ton of sexual assault in this series. It really and it is. Was, it was a little bit heavy for me. Uh, I, I probably could have watched more. I began season two. And I told Kate, I said, I think I'm just, I think I'm done. Um, Sexual assault is never something that I've personally experienced. There are people that I care about that have experienced that and hadn't had that happen in their life, but it's something that I've always been very sensitive to. And so I I typically don't care for things where, not that I I don't acknowledge that it happens. It's a horrible thing that happens. I mean, when was it one in four women? Uh, one in five women experienced sexual assault. One in seven men experienced sexual assault. And so it, it is a major issue.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I, I can watch it in film and TV, but this there was a lot, there was just <laughs> a lot for me. So I've had my fill and Kate was kind enough to say, okay, you know what? Let me give you the story, which is what you want. Let me give you all of those details. <laughs> so, and then I went and watched something that was a little lighter. Because I needed that in my life.
1: Yeah, no, I hear you. You said you, you said that, and I had not started rewatching it yet. Which I've seen. I haven't seen all the seasons. Certainly not what's coming out. Uh, just came out yesterday. This episode drops on Tuesday, so the the newest season premiered on Sunday night, and I'm still a season behind mostly because I started reading romance novels instead of watching TV. So I'm behind in most of my television watching habits. Um, I've loved the story and I knew that there was a lot of sexual assault and you you had mentioned that. And I was like, yeah, I can think of a few. And there's a couple that are very intense, but then rewatching it, there's more than I even remembered. So I can completely understand where if that's something you're particularly sensitive to, or if any of our listeners haven't watched Outlander, but that's a big trigger for you, that is something to be aware of, that there's a lot of sexual assault or attempted sexual assault that happens in this show. And unfortunately, um, that's something that happens in real life and something that happened a lot in history, particularly in times of war or in, in situations where there's occupation. You all know I love the history of England, but the English were not Historically very good to the Scottish, and there's a long record of that. And a lot of people suffered a variety of sorts of abuse, including sexual abuse.
0: Yeah. And obviously the, the series and the the show, the show, both show and books stand on their own and they're well done. It's great for people. I love that this was a, a listener request. I think that was just the thing for me. You know, we we were either witnessing an attempt or sexual assault or it was flashbacks of it. And, Mm -hmm. and so, yeah, yeah. I was like, this is good. This is really good. I'm just, I'm full. I've, I've had enough. Thank you. And you've met the quota (laughs) moving, moving moving on. Yeah. So I moved on to, uh, because I need something light and dark at the same time. So I started rewatching a series of unfortunate events, you know, just to get some laughs in.
1: sometimes you just go back to an, Old faithful favorite.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I thought we would begin or we decided we would begin with a lightning round. And we do want to let you know, we are focusing on season one. Lance had not seen any season, so it was not reasonable to expect him to watch 80 episodes to catch up uh, before we did an episode. And uh, so they're going to be some of your favorite characters that are significant main characters in the later seasons that aren't present in season one so you're not going to hear about brianna or roger or fergus or marsily or lord john gray or young ian and even though we know they're very important to the story maybe in the future we'll have a special guest and we can talk about um some of those later characters and seasons in the, in the future but for now we're focusing on season one and there are lots of great characters this is a pretty strong ensemble cast of course Jamie and Claire are the, the main duo, but there's lots of really good characters on the side, but too many for us to cover all of them. So we'll begin with a lightning round for some of those side characters. And so Lance, my question for you is, what number do you think Rupert is?
0: Well, I'm not going to go into a full explanation because it's a lightning rounds, but he feels like a seven. We get that uh, humor out of him. He's, he's a pretty light hearted guy. I feel like him and Angus kind of go hand in hand though. So what do you think? It's always
1: talking about his sexual exploits.
0: He is. And I i think none of us believe that all of those are real.
1: His left hand gets jealous of his right. According to Claire.
0: <laughs> that was such a good burn.
1: I've never heard a woman tell a joke before. That's one of my favorite scenes in the whole in the whole show. I've never heard a woman tell a joke.
0: Well, what do you think Angus is?
1: I also feel like Angus has a lot of seven energy and, you know, I think that's the playfulness. Mm -hmm. The, I I definitely think that both of them are in the head triad. They, They do tend to be very aware of danger. And maybe that's just because they're living in a dangerous time and a dangerous place that that's totally possible, but of what we see of them, their constant desire to be gratifying the, Sexual urges or drinking or partying or being with friends, and oh, please come on. The clan's only here, they haven't been open here since I was a lad, and I really want to go play with my friends. Can you just let me do this, Claire? Um, it feels seven ish to me. <laughs> what about Leary?
0: So, we had some discussion before about Leary. I kind of think Leary is a two, and You would raise the fact that you thought it's because she's a teenager. We're getting a little bit, but she's, isn't she supposed to be about the same age as Jamie?
1: I think that Jamie, Jamie is older than her because he talks about when she first saw him, he was 16 and he's like, she's like, Oh, you don't remember me. He's like, I wasn't paying attention to snot nosed barons, And so the the insinuation is she's younger than him. I I think she's supposed to be 16, 17, and he's 23.
0: Okay. So, what struck me as two-ish about her was she does have this great desire to be loved and mm-hmm. she is willing to manipulate and do what she can to make that love happen. Whether it's going and getting a love potion, casting spells on or thinking she's casting spells on, on the couple to try and break them up. She tries to seduce Jamie because she's throwing everything she's got at this. And when all that fails, what does she do? She tries to get Claire burned as a witch.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: she is a two who's not living out the most healthy aspects of being a two.
1: Yeah. I can't argue with that. If there's anything that's going to make a two turn bitter, it's unrequited love. And, and, and as we see in later seasons where she comes back again, she makes a lot of decisions because she wants a man to love her and value her and be crazy about her. And, experiences a lot of bitterness in her life when that doesn't happen. And so I can see where she, she could be a two because she's very giving and very kind and charming and girlish when she wants to be. So I could, I could see where she's a very unhealthy
0: too. Yeah. She will cut you to get her man. What about Galus?
1: I'm going to go with three. You could probably change my mind on it, but Galas is really attuned to the social order and the structure. She knows how to get along. She's good at being deceptive in a way that's pretty natural to her, but she's ultimately very goal-oriented. All the things she's doing, initially you think it's for self-protection, it's for her own agenda, but you come to see that her agenda is really much larger than herself. And she's been doing some pretty complicated things to try to twist time and as as events unfold. And uh, that, that feels three ish to me.
0: Yeah. I would have gone with a three for me. What about Jenny? I think Jenny's an eight. And I mentioned this when we were talking and we were looking at the ways some of the women in this series have been typed by the internet. Anytime friends, we need to get riled up Kate and I just look at how people type things in the internet and then it gets upset and they were ready to make an episode <laughs> and there is a sexism in identifying strong women as eights. So I just want to own that, throw that out there. I, I think that Jenny is an eight yes, because of her strength, but because she is the take it charge kind of person she also has such a strong sense of protecting others the, like little kids and in, in their area you know the the lard has not been around and so it's fallen to her and she has just taken charge and she's making sure that everything's going to happen and she's going to make a plan and everyone else is just kind of stupid she doesn't like to put up with everyone else's stupidity mm. and has no time for it she has no mm-hmm. time for their nonsense and she's going to see it done and so that also means that she can be really aggressive. She's eager for the fight, sometimes almost too much. She'd rather have a fight than actually address what's happening, whether it's with Jamie or Claire or things like that. She also doesn't respect people who aren't, uh, who can't handle her. Mm-hmm. She comes to respect Claire because Claire can go back at her and she can handle her. She struggles with Jamie when Jamie is too nervous around her, thinking, living out his guilt. But when they have their fight, there in the, the, the graveyard, suddenly she can come to respect her brother in, in a way he is as a, as the man he is now, not the person that she knew before all everything's happened. So yeah, I, I do think she's an eight.
1: I think you nailed it.
0: What do you think about Ned?
1: I think Ned is a seven. And I, I know I've typed a couple others in the group as a seven, but I really feel strongly that Ned is he talks about his youth and his wanderlust and he wants to to be adventurous. And so he left Edinburgh and goes to the Highlands, like the most dangerous place he can think of to still be a lawyer. And he also, he still has this sense of attaching himself to someone powerful, like the Laird. He has a taste for the finer things in life. He is very positive, even when things are very bleak. He can kind of spin it in a way that that is still optimistic, and that's a the gift that sevens bring to the world. And he's very jovial and funny, and and sometimes doesn't take things that ought to be serious as serious as they should be in the moment. And so I, I think we see those qualities in Ned.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair.
1: What about Colin McKenzie?
0: I kind of think that Colin might be a six because of the way that he responds to to people. He doesn't seem to want to bring about danger. Some of this is real. They are living in an occupied state. It is dangerous what his brother is doing, what the patrol is doing. I mean, there's all these things that are, are real threats that are out there and can be real threats to the people that he's supposed to protect. But he seems especially sensitive to where the danger is. He's reactive. Uh, We see him just respond to a number of things, but he's also unwilling to act at times. So he figures out that they're raising money for this deposed king. And if this were to be known that he was supporting, this could put them into all kinds of trouble. And so he just wants to bury it. He wants to hide it. He wants to distance himself from it. I get a sense that he kind of believes in what his brother's doing, but he doesn't feel like he can do it. And I don't know if that's his responsibility speaking or whether that's his sense of fear, but I think he is fear oriented and I don't think he's a seven or a five. So that kind of puts us right back to the six. I
1: agree. I think, I think column is a, is a phobic six mm-hmm. and it's not that he has no convictions. It's that his, his convictions are always trumped by his need to keep the people beneath him safe to the best of his ability. And he's also a man who believes in the system. So when Dougal mm-hmm. is bucking the system and bucking his authority, it's it is personal for him, but it's also beyond that because it's like, I'm the laird. Mm-hmm. And the laird deserves your obedience, whether you like it or not. And so are you going to do what you've sworn to do. And and Dougal s- sees his king as being above his laird and so by obeying in his mind by obeying or serving the king who he thinks is the true king not the actual king enthroned is the way that he can serve his clan best and that goes against the Mackenzies' sense of how things how the system ought to work and so like a six he he gets really uptight about that
0: yeah that was a good lightning round
1: Yeah, are we ready to do a deep dive into some of our our main characters?
0: Yeah, I think we're going to start out with Murtaugh. So tell me the story of Murtaugh, because season one, he's around, but he's not as vocal. And I've seen a few episodes of season two where he really starts to kind of become a much more front forward character.
1: Yeah, in season two, Jamie and Claire and Murtaugh have gone to France uh, seeking safety. They're partially in hiding, partially am um, seeking out uh, the Bonnie Prince Charlie. And in a smaller group, Murtaugh speaks more and he's more vocal. So we get to see more of his thoughts, which I think points to his Enneagram number being a five for a number of reasons. Uh, one is that he is very observant. Murtaugh notices things that a lot of other characters don't notice. And it's because he's always in the background and he can, He's unobtrusive, his presence. And because of that, he's able to watch and take a lot in. And I even think of his conversation early on regarding Leary with Claire, when Claire has seen Leary and Jamie kissing, and Claire is kind of teasing him. And that can get him in trouble because if that becomes public knowledge, he'll have to marry her. And he makes the comment that Leary is the kind, the kind of woman who will be a girl all of her life. And Jamie needs a woman, not a girl. And he's like, and you know it. And that's a very astute observation about someone that he's not in deep relationship with, but is dead on. And I think that speaks to his observant nature. He's mostly quiet. He's sarcastic. He has a very biting wit and sense of humor. He's very loyal, but he's selective in his loyalty. He doesn't seem to like a lot of people, but when you are one of his people, I mean, it's, it's forever. And one of the reasons he's so loyal to Jamie, apart from the fact that they're both from the Fraser clan is that Murtagh was actually in love with Jamie's mother and he even made some gifts for her, but she chose Brian, Brian Fraser, Jamie's father. And she didn't just choose him. Uh, actually her brothers. I don't remember if this came out in season one, but her brothers forbid the marriage. So she ran away with Brian Fraser And they shacked up in a cottage and made sure they weren't found until she was already pregnant so that they couldn't stop them from getting married. Uh, So then there would be no pretending that that relationship hadn't been consummated. So she really loved Brian and Murtaugh totally stepped aside, but he loved her from afar. And the way he continued to love her was by caring for her children. And so she's died but his loyalty for for her just transferred to her children, and Jamie's older brother also died. So then it went to Jamie and Janet. So uh, I I feel like he is a pretty pretty good example of a five. What about you? Did you see anything else, or did I miss something?
0: No, I think you nailed it. Um, you've convinced me of his fiveness. And to be honest, whenever you know he made those those boar tusk mm-hmm. earrings for her. Whenever, in a callback to last week's Nerdogram episode, whenever one of the characters was talking about being given big dangly hoop earrings, those were the ones I was picturing. She was so those about.
1: were bracelets, not earrings.
0: Well, I miss that. <laughs> I And I even thought, those are some massive earrings.
1: you need gauges to wear those.
0: <laughs> this is what happens when I try and watch the show on the bike. <laughs> I miss key details.
1: I mean, that's not a key detail, to be fair.
0: There is a distinct difference. I mean, not having one or a lot of either, but there is a distinct difference between <laughs> earrings and bracelets.
1: That is true, but I'm trying think, to help you out here.
0: <laughs> I think I'm just going to be done for tonight, and my job from the rest of the evening is to smile and nod at whatever you say. If I
1: No, because we don't have them <laughs> all figured out, <laughs> including our next one, who's Dougal, because we're not we're not convinced if he's an 8 or a counterphobic 6.
0: Since we have talked off off air I've, I have thought about it more and I kind of lean more towards the counterphobic 6. He he's strong and in the past we may have gone too far in the past when we sort of characterized counterphobic 6s as having being all bark and no bite because Dougal clearly has bites. He does. But there are some key things that I don't see from an 8 that I would expect to. He is loyal, but he's not necessarily protecting. And it's who has his loyalty. We talked earlier about how he swears an oath to call him, but he sort of does some mental gymnastics to say, well, but I'm loyal to the true king. So therefore, I'm still haven't broken anything. I, I'm in the clear. You're like, yeah, well, you kind of had to jump through some hoops and do a couple of mental backflips to get there, buddy. <laughs> but, but okay. Okay. But he is fiercely loyal, and he's putting himself and the other men at risk. And he's very forward in how he does things. He is a take charge, no-nonsense kind of guy. He also has a sense of right and wrong, which sixes have a sense of right and wrong. Um, He doesn't let them rape Claire, for which I was grateful. Um, Mm -hmm. He's suspicious of everyone. Particularly, we see that with Claire. And it kind of comes to a head when he takes her down to drink that water to prove that that she's not a traitor.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: he does not befriend easily. And even people that are kind of in his circle, I would think that Jamie would be in his circle. He's suspicious of Jamie all the time. He's suspicious of Claire all the time. He's, I would even say he's probably suspicious of Murtaugh. But yeah, it's really, really strong six vibes is kind of what I'm getting
1: at. His suspiciousness is what makes him a six to me more than an eight. Because he really doesn't trust anyone. And I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with Dougal. um I mean, maybe not love. Sometimes I don't hate him. There are points when I feel like his character is really... His arc is redemptive. But then he goes and does something stupid again. Or maybe not stupid, but unkind or cruel. And I suppose that speaks a bit to human nature. Because... It would be wonderful if every human life had this really neat character arc where we all experience redemption and and move from unhealth to health. And, and we see that. But the reality is most of us, even those of us who are trying to have a, a redeemed life and a, a healthy character arc, we all have ups and downs and health and unhealth and a whole lot of average. So I guess I can't be too upset with Dougal for that. Um I feel like Dougal is more deceptive and conniving than I would expect an eight to be. Dougal will come out and he does when Column is really mad about the money that he was raising for, for Charles. And he, he, he's, he gets aggressive, aggressive. And he's like, you know, I've done everything for you. I'm your ward chief. I've gone to war for you. I've insured your bloodline, which has never been spoken out loud that he fathered Hamish so i I can see where that kind of aggression can look very eightish, but it seems to me that an eight would be more honest and upfront about where they are and less deceptive
0: mm-hmm.
1: particularly I mean particularly with column and with the others. And I also i mean, i I think a, a really unhealthy eight could act differently. But it seems to me that a healthy eight, at least, would be less insecure about his own position and his own power within the clan politics. And that's the whole reason for his tension with Jamie is that Jamie's a rival or can be a rival. And so Jamie's really caught in this hard place where Colum really wants him to be his potential successor. But then if he makes Colum happy, then he ticks off Dougal. And Dougal also has a lot of power within the clan. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think a a counterphobic six or sexual six makes sense for Dougal's character.
0: Yeah. And there was one thing about Dougal, and this is not helpful for Enneagram work, but he really pulls off the shaved head with the beard. And as someone who sports a beard myself and has increasing thinning of hair, I I kept looking and thinking, you know what? Someday when I make that jump, We're just, we're going to go full Dougal on this.
1: So we're going to call it the full Dougal now.
0: The food, the full Dougal.
1: Just don't do what my husband did, which was shave his head. And he didn't totally shave his face. Like he didn't use a razor. He used trimmers and like the low, he was trying to change the shape of his beard along his jawline. So he trimmed it down really, really low. And I had never seen him without a beard. This man has had a full beard. He had a goatee, like a full goatee in eighth grade. So this man has had facial hair since then. And he's had a full beard since he was like 19. I'd never seen him without a beard. He trimmed his facial hair down to practically nothing and shaped his head in the same week. And I was not okay with it. I felt like I was cheating on my husband. Like, I don't know who you are.
0: No, no that won't happen. I already do trim my beard and keep it tidy with a, a razor. Uh, so it'll just be incorporating other parts to it whenever I... I make that jump. That'll be with consultation with my wife. Unlike the <laughs> time that I, I shaved my beard. Have I told the story?
1: I don't did think you so. My beard?
0: So I had this beard since college. We used to do something in my dorm called beard month. And uh, it was not no shave November. For some reason, we didn't catch on to that cleverness. We were not the brightest of dorms. And so we always, <laughs> the, the, the thing that we always did was we always shaved. The night before, uh, no shave, no, no shave. number, it was just beard month. And then we grew out our beards over the course. And I kind of found that I like having a beard. I had not really done that. I had a really awful mustache in junior high. And it's friends. It is as bad as, as you can imagine. I thought it was awesome. It was, it was not awesome. And so then after we get through the, through the end of beard month, the first day after beard month was, was mustache day. And we all shaved wild mustaches in and uh, whew, there's pictures. There are pictures on the internet. And uh, if you're friends with me on Facebook, you can be witness to the awfulness that was that. But years and years later, I was doing some volunteer work with some youth. I was working with some youth and uh, my students were doing a thing to raise money. I think it was, I don't remember what it was. It was, it was some natural disaster. They were, they were working to raise money. And so I was doing some something to try and motivate them to really invest their time and really do. I said, right, how about this guys, you know, for the things that were, the money we're raising. If you hit $500, if you've raised $500, we'll have a pizza party, you know, that your go-to thing, right? We'll have a pizza party. And they said, well, what if we raise a thousand dollars? And I'm thinking the last time we did something like this, I think you guys said like maybe $250, like maybe 300. Like they had, you know, I said, Oh, what do you want? Like, uh, what do you want for a thousand? They go, Oh, we want you to shave your beard. I said, fine. You guys raise a thousand dollars. I will shave my beard. And word got out that the the money we were raising, if we had a thousand dollars, I would shave my beard. And other people in the organization donated lots of money and I had to shave my beard. And I remember telling the sweet, the sweet, sweetheart, she was like the great aunt none of us ever had. Um, And I remember telling her, I don't look good without a beard. And she's like, oh, honey, I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure it's fine. As she writes, you know, the giant check. And so I shaved in front of the students and it was a thing and we hyped it. And afterwards, this little lady comes shuffling up to me. She goes, oh, honey, you're right. You don't look good without a facial hair. <laughs> so I have never shaved the beard again. Never.
1: So I am looking at your Facebook pictures right now. Oh, from no. This is, it looks like before you were married. So this is college. And I got to say, I'm the fan of Lance with sideburns.
0: Oh, yeah. That was my sideburn era.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, you had some pretty rockin' sideburns going on there.
0: I really did.
1: Whatever happened? At what point did those fall out of fashion? Because, I mean, facial hair trends, they go in and out.
0: And I, I the don't think they were in back when for I, a good while. I don't think they were in when I had them.
1: I mean, a bit, especially when paired with like a chin strap kind of beard. I feel mm. like I saw a lot of those with people of our generation, I mean, like the mid to late aughts.
0: Mostly because they couldn't grow the full beard.
1: Mostly. Yes.
0: We go really, off we, we've
1: deviated. Okay. Back to Enneagram and back to outlander. Well, let's talk about Frank.
0: Yeah. And we're going to do Frank and blackjack separate, but together because same actor, same bloodline, mm-hmm. same chiseled looks, very different people. Um, so
1: This might be an awkward question for you to answer. But which version of Tobias Mendez do you think is more attractive? I mean, obviously, as a person, Frank is a more attractive person than the evil that is Blackjack Randall. But the long hair with the ponytail or the short hair?
0: Oh, definitely the long hair with the ponytail.
1: I totally agree. Totally agree that that ponytail works for Tobias Mendez.
0: It, it certainly does. And for most of us, if we had it, it would be like the 90s joke. Remember when that was like really popular with the, the ponytail? Mm. It No, he, he rocks it. He's going to swashbuckle and he's a horrible person. But then he has these moments and he's playing with them. And everyone's like, I can change him. I can do it. <laughs> No, you cannot. No, because he's just going to rape you afterwards. And then he proves it time and time again. Like he's a terrible, terrible person. But we're talking about Frank at this point, aren't we? Yeah,
1: we'll start with Frank. Do you have any hunch for what you think Frank is?
0: Initially, I was leaning more towards like a five, but it felt like surfacing a work for me because he's very studious. He kind of is drawn to the professor uh, sort of thing. He finds people who acknowledge his expertise, whether it's the parish pastor, who, who he hangs out with in Scotland, his fellows, whenever he gets, it's at Oxford, right. That he, he gets a teaching.
1: Initially. Yes. He, they end up moving to the the states.
0: Oh, that's right. He goes to Princeton because when she gets back, he, he gets offered Princeton.
1: Is it Princeton? I can remember. I was thinking it was in Boston, but I could be misremembering that. I haven't seen that season several years.
0: So that was my initial thought is kind of a, a five. I could be convinced of probably another number.
1: I I am leaning towards a three. And that that's a little unconventional because we don't see him being especially vain. For example, we don't see, we don't hear any conversations where he's talking about like what gives him his identity or what's driving him, what's motivating him, which of course Enneagram is all about. Motivation. So, when we don't have a character that explicitly states his or her motivation, we have to base it on behavior as best as we're able. But he's really, really competent, and I think that he's in. When we talk about the harmonic patterns, that his is to be competent or logical, and that is one, three, and five. Now, I I don't think he's a one because he's a rule bender. Uh, a good example of that is when. He wants to pull strings to keep Claire out of harm's way during the war. And she says, no, you can't do that. If everybody did that, then we might as well start speaking German, Uh, which I think speaks to her (laughs) Enneagram number (laughs) as well. Um, He's willing to pull strings. He's willing to to do things that are not on the right side of the law. And, And he certainly has a moral code. He's not without scruple. But he doesn't have the same drive to be good. and And there's a point where he's kind of giving in to the bad. and his minister friend has a little bit of a come to Jesus with him. like, you can't let this continue to grow within you. Like you're headed in the wrong path. You can still turn and go a different way. But if you keep feeding this darkness in you, it will not be good. I also think Frank is aggressive. Um, I can see a five for him because fives can tap into that eight energy when they're really healthy. And even when they're unhealthy, they move to a seven. So there are times when a five can tap into that energy and that aggressiveness. So I don't think is a five is unreasonable, but I still am leaning towards the three. And some of that is coming from later seasons where he does care about appearances. Uh, they have the farce of a happy marriage and, uh, Frank even lets his colleagues sort of belittle Claire in her medical work that she's just the little housewife. And, and he sort of lets that go rather than defending her because he cares about what they think a bit. And and so I think a three just feels more right to me than a five, but I can absolutely see where a five could be.
0: And you've seen more than I have. I've got one season and a couple episodes under my belt. So I don't know that I'm necessarily getting at his motivations.
1: It's definitely important to him to be successful in his career. He's successful, but it's also important to him to look like his marriage is successful, even when it's not. And I, that strikes me as more of a three trait than, and he also, I mean, he also genuinely loves Claire and he wants, he holds out hope for a long time that she'll return his love and, and and to the way that she had before. And I mean, it's not just that he's being fake for appearances sake. There's it's more complicated than that.
0: Mm -hmm. And I'm sure not having seen all that, that there's quite a bit of her reactions to him because when she sees him, she sees blackjack.
1: Mm. And so that's another reason that I think he's a three because my theory and I haven't con—I haven't like looked up interviews to see if this is how uh, Gabaldon wrote them or how Mendes chose to, to portray them. But I think Randall and Tobias are two sides, of, or Randall and Tobias. Uh, Blackjack Randall and Frank Randall are the same character, but one has embraced the darkness and one is still holding on to the light. I think that he, and, and we see glimpses of that when Frank is assaulted to try to take the the money and he loses it and he beats up three men and we know that he worked he was essentially a spy master during the war which how a historian ends up being in, in intelligence Ooh.
0: you ready for this you ready yes. for this i actually yes. know something about this okay so please. during world war 2 there whenever they were working on british intelligence they intentionally went and got people from the humanities to work in this and so they had them dream up every conceivable idea that they could to try and trick Hitler in various ways, including, get this, the guy who wrote James Bond was worked, worked for secret intelligence and created this con where they actually convinced Hitler that they were going to attack in a different place. And it involves, there's some great information. There's some great books been written on this. That he actually goes and they got a a dead soldier and created a whole history of them, had a pretend girlfriend, even recruited someone to be the, the pretend girlfriend and go on a date, fake date. So they had like ticket stubs and love letters and everything else to trick them into thinking that he was a shot down pilot and to sell people on the allure of this broken hearted story of this lovers who would never be together. And so they'd be so caught up in that story that they would just take the information that he happened to have in his pocket is yeah. Not just not even questioning. Just be like, yeah, this makes sense. And all the things that they did to try and circumvent uh, doing an autopsy. So they dropped the body in a place that was predominantly Catholic because they thought it would have a better chance of not having an autopsy to have a doctor look at and say, well, This guy's been dead for like two weeks. Like, There's there's no way we just shot down this plane and do all of these things. So, yeah, they actually did go and recruit people from the humanities because they wanted these outside thoughts and writers and people who knew history and and could pull these things uh, for the war effort. So totally checks out.
1: Fascinating. And so that's how Frank ended up being a spy and a history professor.
0: That's how I hold out that I could be a spy. I'd be a terrible spy.
1: You would be a terrible spy. So would I. <laughs> you didn't you even give
0: a beat. You were like, no, you'd you would be no. awful at this.
1: No, well, because you have too much. I don't I don't want to say integrity is the right word because certainly I think people who work in intelligence, many of them are persons of integrity, but you kind of have to be willing to do and see a lot of things and and let it be okay with your soul. And it would not be okay with your soul.
0: It would not be okay with my soul. <laughs>
1: But it is okay with Jack Randall's soul because he is not a good
0: man. (laughs) No, he's not.
1: And that's part of of the reason I think Frank is a three is because I think Blackjack is a three because I feel really strongly that he's in the aggressive stance. And I also feel really strongly that he's in the harmonic type. And the only number that is both of those is a three and his vanity around how he's perceived his dis. Like he doesn't like how his superiors feel about him and an eight would not care that his superiors don't like him, but he also doesn't like his superiors because he thinks they're incompetent. And if you want to piss off a three, be incompetent. I mean, an eight as well, but that's a big trigger for a three in work. He's not protective. Maybe a little bit of his brother whom you meet in later seasons who fun fact is the actual ancestor for Frank Randall, you get that little bit of a a happy moment that Blackjack Randall did, as far as we know, did not procreate. and but
0: well, we have reason to believe that he has struggles in the bedroom.
1: well, because he's a sadist,
0: <laughs> but even then, he has trouble. and that was an interesting scene that that was a really interesting scene. And the fact that Jenny just laughs at him, I thought was awesome. yeah.
1: Yeah. And I, I, I feel like they're both the three, but one is like a good man who has dark impulses, but has the sense to like resist those impulses because everyone has dark impulses. Everyone has temptations and, and urges to do things we know we ought not to do. Um, and Frank fights that and Blackjack embraces it. And so they become two very different people. But I think at their core, they're still the same. I think I think they're being played as the same person who have gone in two different directions.
0: Like that's a solid theory.
1: I think it's time to talk about the character we're the least certain of.
0: Yeah. At least of the we main were characters. There. I was not looking forward to Jamie because I'm really not sure about Jamie.
1: I one of the reasons I think Jamie is so hard to type is because he is has been written as a character who is kind of the perfect hero. Not that he has no missteps but he is pretty darn close to perfection. I I used to listen to the podcast that the showrunners create. And so like they'd air on Sunday, it would air. And then on Monday, the kind of rehashing of that episode, the episode, and they talk about him. They constantly refer to Jamie. He's the prince among men. He's the prince among men. And he's written that way. And that is, I think, going to skew a little bit because we don't get to see as many of his annoying flaws and and character
0: flaws. I mean, yes and no. One of his big flaws is that he's impulsive.
1: I think he is instinctive.
0: So you're pulling it back to the Enneagram. I see. (laughs) I'm trying.
1: (laughs) I think that he makes decisions quickly because he has a strong sense in his gut of what he ought to do. And he does it because most of the time when that comes into play, It's not a situation where he can think things through. He has to just kind of go with it because if he does nothing or if he takes too long, then people are going to die, particularly when Claire gets herself into trouble.
0: I think that actually just narrows it down from two numbers that I had to one number. Okay. I don't think he's a nine.
1: You don't think he's a nine. Okay. Do you think he's a one?
0: I kind of think he's a one.
1: Okay. Explain.
0: So if you're right that he's not being impulsive, he's being instinctive ones are in the instinctive Mm -hmm. they're in the body he is also very oriented towards right and wrong Mm -hmm. they sort of play it off as a joke he's a virgin coming in it seems like a rule for him and he's had probably plenty of ample opportunities he also carries other people's guilt which is not a great trait of the ones they take on guilt that doesn't belong to them often it can be shown up as anger and we see that him he he morphs it into anger at himself at the world, but that's just, that anger is just covering up the guilt that he's carrying. He's carrying his guilt about Jenny. He's carrying his guilt about some of the things he's done. Uh, I would say even escaping, he carries a little bit of guilt about how he interacts with uh, with the English. He almost welcomes the punishments, but because it's <sighs> there's a rightness to it. You know, I've done the things, you know, and I'm going to own my punishment and I'm going to take all of these lashes and I'm not going to cry out. I won't break. And the fact that Blackjack tries to break him, and that's the big thing, he wants him broken. Ones can be very unyielding. Once a one locks in, I imagine it's a very frustrating experience to move a one.
1: I think the guilt piece for Jamie is really important. And he's very dutiful, very dutiful. Very protective, strong sense of right and wrong. He won't cheat on Claire, even when Leary is offering her bosom to him and Claire is not putting out because she's mad at him. He has a strong sense of justice. And he even tells Claire that when he's spanking her, this is justice.
0: <laughs> there was a lot to that scene.
1: There's a it, whole. Lot
0: it was a scene. little bit of uh, mm, there was a lot of things going on there. Yeah, there's a lot of things going We hadn't there. depicted some light spanking yet in, in the show, and we had to had to get that in there.
1: Had to get that in there for sure. Um,
0: except it wasn't light, she couldn't sit down. <laughs> I don't know why we're laughing about this. Kind of drifts into a bit of spousal abuse.
1: Yeah, he I mean, he it doesn't bother me. The reason that scene doesn't bother me as much as it initially did is actually because he makes a really good argument. He says, if you were a man you would be whipped or have your ears pegged or beaten, or maybe even killed because your disobedience resulted in putting everyone in the party in danger. And the feminist in me is like, well, that's a damn good argument. If that's how you would treat a man, then Claire hike up that skirt and take it, take it like (laughs) that sounds bad,
0: but he does tell her and he's telling her, but he's also telling the audience. I know this isn't how things are done from your world. Yeah. Yeah. We are not in your world.
1: Yeah. And he says, you know, I can tell you from personal experience that a good hiding will will help you understand the, the severity of an action. Um, but, he, but then at the end, he's like, I didn't say I wouldn't enjoy this. So that kind of annoys me a little bit too, but um, they make up. So we won't, we won't harp on that too much, but when he is um, depressed, like when he's not in a good place. He gets very moody. He gets very um, reclusive. um, And that can feel like a four. And maybe the thing that was holding me up between the nine and the one is because he feels so positive and optimistic to me. And not that a one can't be optimistic, but generally speaking, y'all aren't the most positive bunch um, in the group. And, And Jamie reframes and he does. Oh yeah, this is terrible, but such and such is happening or, uh, but be okay. Like he, he has this way of being very optimistic, even in dire circumstances, which felt like, okay, maybe he's a, um, the, the two is that way. The seven and the nine are in that positive outlook group. And and so I was really kind of holding on to the nine. And he's definitely a peacemaker. He's someone who tries to broker peace between different groups of people. He's someone who does not run into conflict like an eight. I saw somebody on the internet type him as an eight, which is bogus just because the man carries a dirk and fights with a sword. I mean, he's a Highlander in the 1740s. Of course he's fighting. That's what everybody's doing, whatever your Enneagram number was. So I was kind of holding on to the nine because he seems so positive, but if he's a one, when he's in a good space, he's going to take on those qualities of a seven and that's where we'll see his positivity, but he also will take on the qualities of a four when he's unhealthy, when he's disintegrating. And that's when we see his self-exile. He gets very reclusive. He gets very broody after he's been, attacked and raped, uh, by black Jack. We see that. We also see it really, um, in much later seasons when, when Claire has gone back to the future. And as far as, I mean, she's, she's dead. As far as Jamie is concerned, he doesn't think she's going to see him or he doesn't think he's going to see her again. And he ends up living in a cave. And part of that was because he had to be in hiding. Uh, but part of it was because he was so heartbroken where he becomes a hermit and pulls away from the world and is just so sad and unproductive because of his his sadness and heartbreak. And that makes more sense out of a one than a nine, who's going to have movement between the three and six. That That was the other thing that was kind of giving me difficulty with the nine is that I don't really see him taking on any six or three qualities with those integration or disintegration movements, but the movements with a one do make a lot of sense.
0: Yeah. I think I'm more sold on the one. He's a one who has been marvelously written to be better than a one. I mean, how do you fully capture? And this is my question and appreciating the, the great characterization that has happened, the broodiness of the one and the joy of the seven somehow melded into one super creature.
1: Cause he's the prince among men.
0: Prince among men.
1: Well, that leaves one character left and that is Claire Beecham random F- Randall Fraser Randall Frazier.
0: So on a long ago episode, we wondered what it would look like to have two ones together. And I think we get a picture of it in this series.
1: I think you're right. I think Claire is an, is a very clear Enneagram one.
0: She she has a sense of what's right and wrong. She's instinctive. She fights for what she wants. She's a little bit of a protector. I think that's why we see some, her sometimes characterized as an eight and also because she's a, a strong woman. So. We have to characterize her as an eight in that sense, but ones have a sense of holding the line. She, she sticks in what she believes in what she believes is right. And she will go down fighting every inch of the way we see the guilt in her that she, she does wrestle a bit with marrying Jamie. Mm
1: -hmm. Not as much as you would like though.
0: No, I felt like she hopped in bed pretty quick. She's like, I'm not so sure about this. As I rip your kilt down around your ankles
1: I mean Sam Hewen in a kilt.
0: Is it the kilt or is it Sam Hewen? I got to know.
1: Sam Hewen in the kilt. So actually my friend Jordan and I have this conversation a couple times a week. So we we both love Jamie and find him very attractive and And, but when I mean, we talk about this a lot, I mean, just about every day, Sam Hewen is mentioned in our text thread or our Instagram DMs because she'll send me like when he has an interview or something. And um, I'm going to call out my friend on the air. I'm not saying her last name so nobody can get too judgy, but uh, she texted me this week. She's like, I've lost my mind or like, what is going on? I actually paid $20 to watch an exclusive interview with Sam Hewen. And I was like, girl, you cry.
0: Like that is 20 good dollars
1: <laughs> to watch an interview. Um, We don't like his Instagram personality because he seems a little too like posed and modelish and I don't know. He's not doing duck lips, but he's like one step
0: removed from duck lips. The male version Instagram. of duck lips. Yes. Duck lips. Yeah. But is it the arm over the head with the abs? Like that's like the go-to.
1: I mean, close.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, uh, but when, he, when he's just talking, he's, he seems very personable and kind and affable and likable and all those things. But when he's Jamie, he's, he's Jamie. I, I actually think he's a lot more attractive because the character of Jamie is the prince among men. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he happens to be an attractive package. But I think when you remove the wonderfulness that is Jamie Fraser and all the things that make him. So I think what we love about Jamie is how he loves Claire. And in the romance world, the fantasy is that there's a man who will kill for you and and be willing to die for you and kiss you like you're the most beautiful person on the planet and, you know, sacrifice for you and treasure you and all those things. And he does all of that with Claire. And so it feeds that fantasy. And when Sam Hewen is the one who's acting that out, you just, he gets a thousand times more attractive.
0: So it's the kilt. The kilt does not hurt. (laughs) I'm surprised you didn't make a comment about the kilt pictures cuz you got into my college photos and there are kilt photos in that.
1: Oh, I didn't I didn't notice those yet. I'm going to have to. Yeah,
0: you missed that. Yeah. Uh. That was not a high point in my life. That was a college thing.
1: <laughs> but I I think Claire is is also a one, but this is a really good example of how two numbers, you can have two people of the same number who act differently and they don't always see eye to eye um But they still have this desire to to do what they think is right, whatever the cost. They don't always agree about what the right thing is. And Jamie is softer. I think they have different subtypes. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm not necessarily willing to peg them. But I don't think they have the same subtype. Because Jamie is softer than Claire is. And maybe it's a wing issue or maybe it's the subtype. But he's a little more tactful in his delivery. He's less abrasive. And part of that is probably that Claire has grown up in a time where apart from World War II, her existence has been fairly safe. She's allowed to have an opinion. There's not the politics. She's not been personally involved in any politicking. And so she doesn't know how to thrive in that environment, whereas Jamie does know what that environment requires of him. So some of it just could be that. But I think even if you put Jamie in the 20th century, he would still be a more easygoing person than Claire is.
0: I, I don't know, because I, I feel like some of his easygoing nature is we'll, we'll handle the diplomatic path forward because I can always stab them later. And I don't think that would transition well to the 20th century.
1: Well, the only person he wants to stab is Blackjack.
0: I don't know. And about the that.
1: McDonald's.
0: Yeah. I, the options always a, a very, whenever he goes and he fights those guys at the duel.
1: Yeah. you know, He does the, the
0: diplomatic thing. Yeah. He kind of like courts it, but then when it's time to fight, he's ready to go.
1: Yeah. And he, he doesn't start that fight, but they attack yeah. him and he's perfectly comfortable finishing it.
0: Yeah. But he doesn't officially start the fight, but he certainly doesn't anything to do anything to dissuade the fight.
1: Yeah, he makes some 18th century your mama jokes. Uh, yeah, he does. And, and you know, then when Claire comes back or when he's back with Claire, she, she's like, you deserved this.
0: Of course she would say that. Like, of yeah. course she would say that.
1: Yeah, she has a lot of that. Well, what did you expect? Well, this is what you get. You go and start a duel or go to a duel. This is what you get. So you have no one to blame but yourself. She has a lot of that. critical judgmental (laughs) um and she can't help herself like and and so this the example i'm going to use i would not act differently but when she sees the baby in the fairy tree uh galus warns her you cannot go touch that baby and and claire of course knows that you know this is just a sick baby the fae haven't left a changeling and i would do the exact same thing in claire's situation. Gailus is saying like you can't save this baby and by trying you're going to hurt you know bring problems for yourself so Gailus is understandably being cautious there i still think i would do what claire did uh but she cannot see a sick child and leave it be even if she can't help even if it gets her in trouble same thing with the priest um doing the exorcism when um He thinks he's eaten garlic or something and it's, I don't remember what it was, but it was poison and, and she, she can't help herself. She can't help herself from calling out Dougal and being aggressive with him and getting herself in trouble. She doesn't play the game even when she should. And she gets a little better in France. She's more in a different environment. She figures she has to, she figures out that she has to be more savvy and she's able to do that, but she doesn't like it.
0: She just lays back and thinks of England or thinks of Scotland.
1: Yeah. They make a good joke with that. But even in the 20th century, she's a, she uh, becomes a, she becomes a surgeon. She goes to med school. She's someone who pushes the boundaries because the status quo isn't right and fair. Mm -hmm. So she won't let it hold her back. She's going to do what she thinks is right and fair. And she's also going to put you in your place. If you do something stupid that gets you hurt.
0: Yeah. She doesn't put up with stupid Mm -mm. and both eights and ones have a little bit of that. And I think it relates to their instinctive nature. They have an instinct for what's just full of bull.
1: Yeah. I think nines are that way too. They're just passive aggressive about it
0: Mm -hmm. or
1: snarky instead of like being in your face. So a good example of this, I hope he doesn't mind us calling out, but um, a colleague that we work with, we're required to do a training boundaries thing every so many years, it's just something we're required to do. And it's really common sense. And the way it's presented is, I don't want to say a waste of time, but it's not the most engaging way.
0: It's condescending at times. (laughs)
1: It it is. And uh, so some of us are just going to say, I know what the right answer is. I know what the answer they're looking for. And I'm going to put it but our friend decided to incorporate all kinds of snarkiness in his answer to the point where he wasn't sure it was gonna get approved. And by a miracle it did, because I guess they're like, well, at least you read the material.
0: Well, cause didn't he do that on a previous year and it got set denied. denied.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so he's he's an Enneagram nine. And he would, I think would you didn't really have to, I think, tick him off for him to like yell at you or engage uh, an argument to your face, but he thinks all that stuff Mm -hmm. and he's willing to put it on paper. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that's kind of the, the passive aggressiveness of a nine. It's not that his impatience with stupidity isn't there. He just acts on it differently.
0: That's true. That's really true.
1: (laughs) Well, my friend, I think that we have successfully typed the characters from Outlander season one. Do you feel good about this?
0: I do. It was good work.
1: I think so too. And I've had a good time revisiting it. I've also been on Etsy looking at Outlander gifts this week. So (laughs) uh, I might be leaning into some merchandising as well.
0: (laughs) Well, I love our listener requests. So if you have a request, feel free to let one of us know. More and more of these episodes we've done in the last couple of months have been user listener requests, user requests, listener requests.
1: And we have yet to get a request that we haven't worked into the schedule.
0: We do have a secret hot list of like, yeah, no, we won't do this. If this comes up,
1: <laughs> Yeah, we res- we do reserve the right to say no, but-,
0: but it's a short list. It's a very short list.
1: Yeah. And so far you guys have recommended some pretty good things. Well, do you want to tell-, tell them about next week?
0: I was about to tell you to tell them to tell what's next week, but I can talk about what's next week.
1: Well, that's all right. I've got it in front of me. It's Turning Red, a Disney film. Neither one of us have seen it yet, but it's coming out on Disney Plus. And and we're bending our rules a little bit because this this movie focuses on children. And so we'll put that caveat out there, but since uh, it's a Disney movie, so we're going to give ourselves a little bit of wiggle room and grace with that.
0: And we're taking a risk here because neither one of us have seen it. It has not come out yet. So we're really hoping we can pull off some typings. Usually we can at least scope out whether we could possibly type. in the It's middle. true.
1: Cause there've been a couple of times when we've watched something that we both really liked. and we came back, we're like, I don't know what the heck to do with this because did not have the material we thought we were going to have. <laughs> well, if turning red, isn't your thing, or maybe it is, but you can still participate in our book club for the month of March, which is a, A Michael Crichton classic, one of our favorites, Timeline. And I think you read most of Timeline today, didn't you?
0: I did. I just powered through. (laughs) That's why I'm a little loopy today because I'm tired. I just got into it. I had not read it since high school, so I was glad we returned.
1: Is it as good as you remembered?
0: It is. It is so good. And I've never read some most of his other stuff. I've only read a couple of his books and. Now, right before we got on, I was putting in a request with my local library to get a copy of Jurassic Park.
1: Mm, nice. Well, we'd love for you guys to join in on the conversation with us. You can get in touch with us on the usual socials, but particularly Instagram, uh, Nerdogram Podcast. Uh, You can also find us online at nerdogrampodcast.com. That's also where you can find a link. If you want to participate in the book club and you want to do that with an audiobook. you can get a free audible trial. And so the link to do that through us is right there. And that just helps us out a little bit. It doesn't cost you anything. You get one month free, one month, one month, one book, totally free. If you don't like it, just cancel your subscription. No harm, no foul. Um, You can also do us a really big solid and subscribe. And if you're really feeling generous, rate and review the podcast. Those things help uh, other podcast listeners find us if people are interested in learning more about the Enneagram. So that's something that you can do to be a really good friend of the podcast.
0: Thank you for being a friend.
1: Travel down the road and back again. I hope you know more words because I need the background music. to. I, keep I read, going. Uh,
0: you're a friend and a confidant.
1: Oh, that was good. You are also clearly tired because I don't think I've ever heard you break out into song on the podcast before.
0: I told you I'm either humming to myself or swearing to myself. There is no in between.
1: <laughs> well, we should probably go ahead and close this down. So until next time, that's all for me.
0: That's all for me.